Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the Monster Hate the Pilot Podcast. Podcast that's hosted by me, Brandon. It's Monday in the music room. That's right, it's Monday in the music room. Brandon's got three songs to talk about tonight. He's also got two episodes of The Lost Rewatch to go over. He's also going to go into some other madness, probably, because that's how Brandon works. He actually doesn't have a whole lot planned tonight. I was going to do a ketamine session and didn't do the podcast, but then time happened, and I didn't have the time to do the ketamine session and still watch the Lost episodes and still then be able to review them. I fell asleep in my first attempt to watch the Lost episodes tonight, just not because of the episode being bad or anything, because Brandon was tired. He didn't get a lot of sleep last night. Not sure why. Whatever. Brandon's going. Here we go. It's uh, it's a wild, wonderful weekend, man. It's the wild, wonderful weekend. We got a great, uh, we got a great sports episode coming up in a few days. But who cares about that? It's Monday in the music room. Wow, that's an intro. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't have a whole lot planned tonight. Jump into the songs, really. Jump into Lost Rewatch. Maybe try to get you out of here in under an hour. But then I do talk about Lost like a half hour each time, which I thought like last week. Man, I really cut down the time I talked about it. And it still took a half hour of the freaking episode. <laughs> so, what you gonna do? What you gonna do about it? <laughs> Brandon doing voices again. Oh man! Uh, thanks to you know, thank you so much for listening, understanding all the fun stuff. You know, if you've liked what you've heard, spread a good word. Anywhere podcasts are available, you can't find Monster Eight the Pilot. You can watch the video on Spotify if you're so inclined to. Um, trying to think, trying to think, man. What else do I do at the beginning of the shows? I don't know, man. I don't know. It's been one of those weeks, I think. Not a bad week. You know, I got some stuff done. I got the whole living room flipped around, did another cutting session, and it was wild, man. It was wild. That's actually something I forgot to write down that I wanted to talk about. We're going to jump right into it. Ketamine therapy, man. Um, did another session. I've got another one coming up tomorrow now. I've rescheduled for tomorrow. Man, this last one, I've always like kind of talked about it when I talk to like my therapist or talk to like certain people about like kind of my mental health stuff that I literally have two people going on in my brain at all the time. There's a there's one that is very rational about everything. Like, you know, he's uh like uh you know, he sees things for what they are and kind of, you know, can rationalize everything, every situation and what we need to do. And then you have the irrational side, who is just a wild and crazy person. He's the suicidal part of Brandon. He's the batshit crazy side of Brandon. He's the one that doesn't think things through. He's the one who just does shit and causes problems for everybody. He's the one that, you know, drives my self-esteem down, drives down my self-worth, does all that crazy shit that I've talked about numerous times on this podcast that's sponsored by not that, that whoever I said I was sponsored by last week. I don't know. Whatever. Undercut it with a joke, Brandon. Good job. Um, But... During this ketamine session, I literally got to sit back and watch the two of them have a conversation. It was fucking wild. And I'm sorry, that's the first F word I think I've said. Maybe probably my third one. I don't know. I think I noticed that last week on a little side note here about the trying to cut back cursing. I cursed like three times before. I'm like, oh, well, there's the first one. I'm like, nope, I had cursed like multiple times before that, especially the F word. I am trying to cut it back. I think I'm doing a decent job, especially for how much I do curse. But, um... I do think this whole ketamine session where watching the two halves of my brain having an actual conversation between themselves, like (laughs) during a ketamine session deserves an effort. It was wild, man. It was just, I'm just sitting there. I've got the sleep mask on and I'm just like watching it. I'm like, this is, this is incredible. This is crazy. Like I am literally seeing two halves of my brain sitting in a room and like, it's like me, it's like, you know, I'm seeing myself, but just sitting across from each other in a room having this massive fucking argument. And it's crazy. And basically what it kind of unlocked for me or kind of what I saw in it is that 
I think in, you know, since I've gotten sober, you know, I've dropped off, like, you know, I've dealt with like sobriety, start dealing with like demons and stuff like that. I've always felt like I've done a good job of kind of not so much eliminating, but really quieting irrational Brandon, like that half of the brain. That's just, you know, the destructive side, the self-destructive side. Um, the one that wants to run away all the time, the one that wants to hide from everything, the one that doesn't want to do anything. He just like, Oh, how about we just do this instead? And, you know, we don't deal with shit. Um, and what I got to see was basically was him pointing out to the more rational side. Like, no, you, I just got to hide in different areas in your life. Now there's different areas where I get to come up and you don't even realize it. You think you kind of like stowed me away. Like, no, I just got to like kind of sprinkle myself into different aspects of your life. And that's why sometimes that's why um, I have my issues, like trying to like, maybe like lose weight or, you know, trying to stay on task, like reading books. Why my ADHD kind of has gotten out of control in the past, like two years where it's like really hard for me to just get anything accomplished is because the irrational side of Brandon has sprinkled himself into all these little areas in his life, in my life. I, I just referred to myself in the third person like four times. I am such a douchebag. It's crazy. Um, but no, it's like, I got to like, kind of see him point that out to like the rational side and the rational side, like, holy shit, you're right. Like, you know, for once you are the correct one here, <laughs> your rational Brandon was correct or crazy Brandon or whatever you want to call that side of me, um, was, it's right. Like, you know, I got the, I basically just kind of let him sprinkle himself into different areas of my life and slowly or subtly kind of take control of those things so like even the things i love doing or things that i like um used to love doing that i don't quite get the same enjoyment out of or i just struggle to get myself to do it's because he got himself in there and is like haha you know middle fingers to me and says has just you know eat that shit pal if you're gonna get yourself sober i'm gonna ruin your life in some other or try to ruin your life in other ways like it was crazy man and it was unbelievably helpful. Like, it was, like, really interesting to see that dynamic and to see kind of that type of truth laid bare in your mind and, like, while you're experiencing the whole thing. It's, like, something you'd almost see, like, you feel like in a lucid dream. I've talked about, I talked about that, I think, the first time I talked about doing ketamine. It's, like, it's almost like a lucid dream, a dream you can control. Like, it kind of that same thing, but it's like you're much more present than even like the lucid dreams I have. Like, you know, you get like one or two a year. Some people have them all the time, which is wild to me. Um, I get like one a year where I can control everything that's going on in their dream. And it's cool. It's wild. It's wonderful. Z street shuffle. Um, it's yeah, but like, this is just a completely different thing. Like I'm so much more present than it. I'm like, I'm watching this like, Whoa. <sighs> <laughs> that's insane. It's crazy. Like, uh, it gives me a lot to work off of. It gives me a lot to kind of dig into and maybe like I have to, I really want to need to do, I'm doing an integration session on Wednesday. I need to make sure I talk about some of this stuff. So I need to almost kind of sit down and go over a lot of like the things I do day to day and see where that irrational side has seeped into them and then work on my like habits like the habit forming side of it of breaking those irrational habits and you know so i'm not you know sitting at the computer and like oh man i've been here for four hours and i don't think i've done anything i'm like what have i done today i'm like oh what what's happened i can't i don't even remember what i've done like that's been you know if you've listened to podcasts you have those weeks of brandon being like i can't remember what i did this week and that's the irrational side of brandon basically taking over and just getting brandon to zone out on nothing it's like oh i you know had 18 different Wikipedia tabs open. I didn't read, I only read one of them. 
because it's like, oh, that'd be really interesting to read about. Then I click it. Then something else gets in my brain to start working on something else or I guess get lost or why I have 10 billion half written songs like, you know, like where I write like a couple of things. I'm like, oh, I've really got something working here and it goes nowhere. But like I said, that's I've been able to work on that quite a bit. I mean, I mean, for F's sake here. Yeah, that's right. I said F's sake. Proud of me, Ma. You proud of me, Ma? Um, that I've you know written actual songs this year. That's not something Brandon does. He usually writes it and takes years to come back to it eventually, or it pops back in his brain, or if he goes back to revisit, it ends up sounding like a song that's already been written. And Brandon's just a thief. <laughs> now Brandon's staying on task with those, or remembering to do like those little things, like oh, because. All of us are guilty of this. Like, you know, we'll get hit with this great idea. Like, we're in bed, and it's like, okay, well, this is such a great idea. I'll remember it in the morning. And you wake up, you're like, I can't remember what that was. And especially, like, with song stuff like that, melody. All of a sudden, you're like, how did that melody go? Oh. Because there's times, like, I will hear the song in my head as I'm, like, laying in bed, or I wake up or something like that. And I'm like, okay. I hear everything. I hear the melody. I hear the chords. I hear everything is perfect in my brain. I'm like, I even know what key this is in. I don't know what the hell keys are. I even know the key. That's how ingrained in the brain it is. I'm like, okay, let me take a shower. And like, you know, suddenly I get sidetracked. And all of a sudden I go like, oh man, I need to write that down. I'm like, how'd it go again? And it's just gone. And it's just gone and it never comes back. Or if it does kind of come back, it comes back slightly different. And then like, it just is more different from uh, what it was originally to what it is now. And it's just like, oh man, we missed it. We missed it. What can you do sometimes? Except work on yourself. And that's the key to all this is Brandon is still working on himself. Everybody's a work in progress. You, me, Dupree, we're all works in progress. And I have really enjoyed doing this ketamine stuff. Um, it's been wild. Um, I think I've identified some really key areas to work on. Um, I do think, because uh, I get six sessions. I've already done four. So I have two more. I have the one this tomorrow. Then I'll have another one. And then I'll have options to continue or move on. You know, just I I believe I would continue. So that's that's my idea of it, is that I will continue to do ketamine therapy after my initial run here. Um, I think one thing I'm a little worried about with it is just that one, it's pricey. It is pretty pricey. I'm not going to sit there and sugarcoat that. It is pricey. Like, um, what's the good thing is it's like it's basically like you equate it out to a hundred dollars a session. And like your second options are like six sessions or 18 sessions. The 18 one breaks down about a hundred dollars session. Then you break it. It's like, it's $1,800. And they kind of, and the best way to do it is once a week. And like, man, all of a sudden you kind of break that down. It's like, that's just over four months. That's four. That's God, that's $450 a month. <laughs> like that's, that's a lot of money for a lot of people out there. Um, so it's just one of those things that like, I wish it could be like once a month. And then also that's, that's a year and a half worth of stuff. That's a year and a half worth of therapy sessions right there. That's worth it. 1800 bucks. You know, that's basically what I pay for my regular uh, therapy sessions. about eight. Well, I do about twice a month. So a little more than that. Well, whatever, man. Brandon has problems. Brandon has issues, but we all have issues. We all have problems. We all should be working together on it. We should all be making things better for each other, man. Ba-ba! I don't know. Nah, but I do recommend tripping sometimes. <laughs> uh, another thing was like I, I things that have slipped from my brain, like over the years. I remember talking to you guys way back in the early days of the podcast about special episodes I wanted to do. Um, 
and I saw like certain thing, like I saw like a, one episode in particular that was in my brain. Um, that was during a Kennedy session. I actually like saw like, like, Oh shit. It's like, I, I can kind of figure out how to do that now. Cause I've always kind of wondered how to work. It's the one that's 18 seconds. I called it 18 seconds to hell. It's kind of the intersection of the 2013 NHL playoff or NHL Stanley cup finals with the Bruins Blackhawks intersecting with my personal life, with my dad's kind of uh, decline in uh, early onset Alzheimer's how those two collided on game six. And then the 18 seconds uh, it took the, Blackhawks to go from one nothing down game six to two one up and to win the Stanley Cup. And I've always wondered like how to work it. Like, you know, how how does it work? Like is it a thing about, you know, sports and the ability it has to kind of help us uh cope or help us um escape is a way maybe escape might be the wrong word, but kind of escape like kind of what's going on in our personal lives for like a little bit of time. Um, and then once it's, you know, like, Matt, like a great Stanley Cup run's gone or a great, you know, Liverpool, like, title runs over, like, also now the real world's back. Is it that or is it about a guy who um, is failing to deal with his issues and is trying to hide and trying to latch onto anything else going on in his life instead of dealing with the actual problems, which is what Brandon did for his entire 20s? Like, do we do that? Is that how it should work? And that's how it kind of ended up was like working in my brain as I'm like seeing it during the ketamine session. Like, oh, it's that's what it is. It's Brandon failing to deal with all this stuff and like letting the irrational side of the brand. This is basically where the irrational conversation came out of was this initial thought process. Was that eventually um, is that Brandon was failing to deal with anything and failing his family, failing all these people around him because he was just too emotionally immature and just too. Um, what's another good word? Not just emotionally immature, just like just unwilling to deal with tough things. It's like so, like by doing that, Brandon put this huge brick wall in his life, and this huge, basically, um, yeah, brick wall. I guess would be the best one. I don't need to say it again. This huge brick wall in his life between him and his family and his friends, and like him dealing with things, and eventually led him down the road to his alcohol problems, his suicidal problems, his uh, his low self worth, and all these other things that I've dealt with on this podcast that we've talked about at length that we don't have to go into in great depth again. You can go back to old episodes and listen to Brandon go wildly crazy into that shit. Um, so that's where I kind of saw the episode in my mind going while doing the Academy. I was like, that's actually how that episode should go is that ultimately it's about Brandon's inability to deal with things and how his inability to deal with things completely let it uh, compound or basically a snowball rolling downhill and like kind of building up and building up and building up and becoming this mountainous boulder rolling at you. Because Brandon failed in these moments to actually deal with things. That's how it all worked. That's what was going on in my brain for like 45 minutes. And also, I spun around for like four hours. But really, it was like probably 40 seconds. Like, I'm in my chair and I like, I'm in this mask. I just swear, I'm just like spinning. But not like in like, I'm going to get sick. It's just like, what am I experiencing? And then I'm like, and Jake's here, you know, because he's making sure I don't do whatever. And like... I'm like, yeah, Jake's here, but Jake's been here forever. I'm like, no, Jake's only been here. Like in my mind, it's like, Jake's only been here for like a half hour. It's like, but what is a half hour? And it's like, what is time, man? What is time? And it's like, oh my God, dude, I'm really in one now. And it, it was, it was trippy. And once again, I came out early, about 10 minutes early. So, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't last that long for me. Um, every time I start becoming aware of time again, like, you know, like, oh, like, um, Hmm. Basically, once I in my brain, he kind of 
see myself thinking or hear myself thinking, wonder how much long time, how much time is left before the hours up before it dings to let you know it's time to journal. Once I kind of get that thought in my head, that's when I get out. It's like, okay, I'm becoming like much more aware and I'm ready to go. So I took, take off my mask. I'm like, then me and Jake ate crab rangoon pizza. Yep. That's a thing. And it was all right. It was fine. I probably would never have it again, but it was definitely worth a shot. Wasn't bad. Wasn't bad. Wasn't bad. It's from this place called Wizard of Zah. I like pizza. I've had it there a couple times. Uh, old Danimal the Animal, before the episode he did with me way back in the day, he brought it over that one time. It's good. It's pretty solid stuff. It's good pizza, but at the same time, Wizard of Zah doesn't really mean anything. It's not like a play on Wizard of Oz. It's just Wizard of Zah. You just put Zah at the end of it. You know? I don't know. It's just, I don't know. It's kind of an odd name. It works. I mean, you can remember it. So ultimately, that's all that matters. And I'm talking about it on the podcast, and that's all that really matters. They've gotten so much free advertisement, they'll probably have a million-dollar profit this week. <laughs> that was be wild. <laughs> to be that much of an influencer, it'd suck. Uh, no, but I wanted to share that with the ketamine stuff about Brandon watching a conversation between two halves of his brain going off. And then also, like, some podcast stuff coming up about old episodes that I talked about doing forever ago that I'm just never getting around to. Um, I still want to work on. I'm still got to write it all out. And then it became more of like, does this become a production thing of actually making it a much bigger production thing? Like you see like these, uh, like you see really great YouTube, like video essays and stuff like that. Does it become something more like that? It becomes a video and intercuts things, almost like a documentary or something like that. Or am I that vain? Am I that vain of a person that I'd make a documentary about myself? Is that allowed even? Are you even allowed to do that? I don't think you should be able to do that. You have to have somebody else make the documentary about you. You can't just make your own about yourself. Ugh, gross. <laughs> um, yeah, it also reminded me like the Vertutate a Cat episode. I started writing that forever ago, put like a thousand words into it, and I haven't went back to it. Uh, what was the other one? Then was like Requiem for the Game, which is about baseball and the death of baseball for Brandon. So, I mean, that's probably never happening. Um, that one for sure is never happening. The work room for the game. I just don't, I don't know. I just don't think it's, I, I think it, it's too surface level. And I just don't think there's enough in it for me to really ever want to dig into it like consistently. Cause ultimately that's what these like ideas are. Is that every, like probably once every week, two weeks, I will think about the Virtute the cat episode, or I'll think about like the 18 seconds of hell episode. They'll go like pop in my brain. Like, Oh yeah. How do I work in this? And I'll just kind of work little details out in my head about where I would want it to go. Whatever I want to do. Wrecking from game just never pops up. It just never pops up until I'm randomly talking about special episodes. But whatever. Whatever, man. You know? Yeah. Ketamine's cool. Tripping balls is cool, dog. It's dope, son. It's cool. Yo. <sighs> Why do I say stuff like that? Why? 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 Anyway, let's get into these songs, man. We got three songs this week. We got two songs that are very, uh, um, they're in the same vein. Oh, they're probably, you know, they're family members. They're like cousins or something like that. Um, and then I have one song that is just, I should have talked about it a couple weeks ago when it was featured on Lost. I kind of talked about it for a second about how awesome it is, but I didn't like go into it. Like, and, oh man, we're going to talk about it tonight. Uh, which one should I do for Let's do that one then. You know what? It's one of the all time songs. It is just, the name of the record's called Raw Power by the Stooges. Iggy Pop and the Stooges there. It's Search and Destroy. 
oh my god, man, this song is the Raw Power is the perfect name for that record, and this is the perfect name for a record that features Search and Destroy. This song is so raw and powerful, so it's perfect that it's on an album called Raw Power. Oh my god, man, that guitar is just mm, like I said. I saw somebody saw it's like a bastardized version of a Keith Richards like riff. And it's like yes, it's just rumbling. It is shooting out of a cannon. And then when it hits the chorus, and it like the first chorus, like it kind of hits hard, like oh man! But then they come back after like the kind of uh, the guitar solo there in the center, at the center of the bridge, and it comes in and they do like basically the second uh, cor- verse again, and then they go into that last chorus, and the way it comes in that last chorus is an explosion. It is a nuclear bomb going off. The way that it produces it blows up into that last like chorus. It is. One of the greatest songs ever. It is incredible from start to finish. Oh, man. Raw Power, The Stooges, Search and Destroy. I am the world's forgotten boy. The one who searches and destroys. Oh. Oof. It's one of the all-timers, dude. Where are we at here? Anyway, kind of wrote it in response to like the whole Vietnam War. A lot of great stuff that was written anti-war, you know? Because we all should really be anti-war at the end of the day. There should be no reason why we just go kill people. Especially for rich people. We shouldn't go do anything for rich people because they all suck. Uh, I shouldn't go into that. Look out, honey, because I'm using technology. Ain't got time to make no apology. Soul radiation in the dead of night. Love in the middle of a firefight. Then it starts hitting that pre-chorus. Honey, gotta strike me blind. Somebody gotta save my soul. Baby, penetrate my mind. And then, boom! Honey, I'm the world's forgotten boy. The one who's searching, searching to destroy. Oh, honey, I'm the world's forgotten boy. The one who searches only to destroy. Hey. Mm. God, man. This song, you can just listen to it over and over. You can definitely see... This is one of those songs that's also like, it's like MC5's like Kick Out the Jams is also another great one to kind of point to. It's like this song, Kick Out the Jams, Search and Destroy. Like they're great precursors to what eventually became punk rock music in the later 70s because this is like 73. Um, you can definitely hear like where the Ramones come from. You can hear where the Sex Pistols come from. You can hear where like all these like kind of punk acts right there in the late 70s, where they kind of were born from just from this song. You can just hear it like, oh. Yeah, they are starting something here. This is the start of something. Like, you know, like to be like if I could have been alive then, like if I was alive in 1972 to hear the song for the first time in 73, that's one of those where like it's the first time you hear it, you're like, what is this? What is this? I got to find out more about this. I remember listening, like I probably listened to the song in my teens, and it was one of those like, what is this? This is awesome. I love this. <laughs> I want more of whatever this is right now. <laughs> so like, yeah, it's like, I always like point like there's certain acts that I'm like, man, to have been there during their heyday, like the, the scene, like Bruce Springsteen, like the late seventies, like 78 or something like that. 75, 78 in that range, uh, probably like 75 as like born to run starting to hit just to see those epic concert he's putting on and him just going wild, like just would have been incredible. Just this, being that birthplace of that type of style of music, same thing like the, with the Sto- the Stooges and Iggy pop um, would have been great to have been around like right there, right when rage against the machine kind of hit, that'd have been incredible. Like, what is this? This is something completely different. I love this a lot. 
like Nirvana is another good one. That's like Nirvana is not my, so much my thing. I mean, like I appreciate everything, like what Nirvana did and who they are. Um, their music is whatever for me. I think it's fine for the most part. Like, you know, it's just like, I don't know. I just don't connect with it. Like a lot of people do. Like there's certain bands, like I even can put like the Beatles a little bit into this category. Like, you know, I love the Beatles a lot. There's a lot of songs I love by the Beatles, but I don't like live and die by them. I don't go like listen to their albums for days on end, looking for all the hitting meanings behind stuff. Like, you know, I love a lot of their songs. I think Hey Darling's one of the greatest songs ever. Like uh, there's so many great songs they wrote. Um, but at the same time, if you don't get into them by a certain age, you'll never connect with them the same way. Nirvana and the Beatles are very similar to that. If you don't connect with them by a certain age, you're never going to connect with them in the way that the other people will. Like, you know, because I'm not going to sign up to here. Like, you do have to be a little bit older to kind of connect with Bruce on a lot of things. You have to be a little bit older to kind of connect with a lot of what Bruce is talking about in his songs. Um, with the Rolling Stones, you just had to have sex first. Like once you've had sex, you totally get the Rolling Stones. <laughs> Before you're like, I don't get it. And then you have sex for the first time and you're like, I totally get, can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> I understand this song completely now. I don't like, I like four hours ago, I didn't understand. Now I know everything about that song. <laughs> after 30 seconds, after 30 seconds of life, I completely understand the Rolling Stones. <laughs> yeah, funny, funny, funny. Brandon, whatever, dude. <laughs> uh, didn't think I'd go there tonight, but yeah. But anyway, yeah. The Stone, like Search Destroy by the Stooges. Yeah, this is one of those songs, man, that kind of. You wish you could have been around the first time it was played. Like being in the studio, I think me and Dave have talked about this. I think me and a couple other people, like being in the studio when something happens, like for the first time. Like, um, I'm trying to think, what was always the example? I think Rage Against the Machine was like one of our always like kind of prime ones. Like being in the studio and Rage Against the Machine comes in and you're like, you've never heard them and you don't know what they're going to do. And they, they hit you like with killing in the name of, you're like, what the fuck is this? Like, holy crap, what is this? This is awesome. This is incredible. Yeah. Or even like in the late 90s, you could have heard like at the drive-in or something like that. You're like, wow, this is something completely out there. A tool or something like that. You're like, wow, this is this is something. You've got something here. You know? Hey, Barry Gordy, you looking for that new sound? Right, Barry Gordy? Is that the reference in Back to the Future? I can't even remember. I haven't watched Back to the Future in a long time. Looking for that new sound? Yeah, here's this white kid playing guitar, and now we're going to make it seem like white people created rock and roll and not Chuck Berry. <laughs> oh, Chuck Berry, what a guitar player. He was magnetic as a performer. He had, like, his issues in his personal life, but, like, no, every freaking rock star does. Um, But as a guitar player, man, I remember he played uh, Johnny Be Good with Bruce in, like, 94, and... It, you just can't take your eyes off of him. He's just this magnetic player. Um, and there's like Sister Rosetta Tharp, who uh, he took a lot of um, inspiration from. She sang a lot of gospel stuff that kind of like, eh, you know, but she was a phenomenal guitar player. She really was. She had a lot of influence on like those rock and roll guys in the late 50s and late 60s. Or late 50s, early 60s. Mm. Mm-mm-mm-mm. That's song number one of the week. The Stooges, Search and Destroy. Uh, Iggy Pop and the Stooges, man. Iggy Pop is 76 years old and he's still running around with no shirt on. And I'm not even saying, like, whoopty fucking do. He can do whatever he wants. He's Iggy Pop. You know what I mean? He's Iggy Pop. Oh. 
he kind of has that same weight to me as like a Tom Waits of this kind of like, he can just kind of do whatever he wants and it's fine. It works. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, he wants to be shirtless at 76. I don't care. Guy's jacked. <laughs> and he still brings it, man. You know, it's like the same thing like like Tom Waits. Tom Waits just kind of does stuff. You're like, yeah, you can do that. You're Tom Waits. <laughs> uh, song number two. The song is off an album I've talked about before. It's uh, based on a book that I've talked about before. This is Ben Nichols, the lead singer of Lucero. This is from the album The Last Pale Light in the West. When did Last Pale Light in the West come out? 2009. Yes, 2009. Got it came out my senior year of high school. Only on the noon about it then. This is, man, this song. This is based off one of the characters in Blood Meridian, the veteran, um, the the veteran Mir. Um, this is a song about a man going to reclaim his lost love in Mexico, and he uh, happens to run across the Glanton gang. Things don't. I used to always want to believe that it worked out for him and he eventually found that dark eyed love. But I don't I don't think so. I think they killed him. Because that's what that story was. It was a deconstruction of the mythology of the West. Um and it's one of the many things the book's about. That's not the only thing that book's about. That book's about so many different things. But I think that's a big part of it, is the demythalization. Is that a word? Demythalization? I don't think that's a word. But it sounds like a word. I just watched Glass Onion again a couple of days ago, and they do that where you know, like where Edward Norton is using words that sound like words but are not. <laughs> um, the demythalization of the American West. You know, it's not some good guy with a gun, a sheriff keeping the bad guys at bay. Nope, it's just a whole bunch of hellions who had no place in the modern world anymore. Like you know, they got to do what they want when they wanted, and it was just violence and violence and violence, and there was no God. It was just Judge Holden the devil in his hell is Mexico. It was just bad men being bad with the devil amongst them. That's what the American West really was for the most part. And they preyed on so many, just the, uh, the innocent of people just trying to make it in America. And they just, you know, go. Yeah. It's uh it's not a great time for human history in the American West. It's a uh, very rough, rough and rough and violent time in human history. Yeah, because it's like basically you're kind of getting into more modernization and kind of more, I guess, modern civilization. Um, yeah, modern. Did I say modern civilization twice? I think I did, but whatever. You're getting into like modern civilization a little bit. Obviously, you still have like the remnants with like World War One, World War Two, and like terms like the ultra violence of like what battles used to be. Like we've kind of they've become much more tactical and much more precise in like how everything goes. It's just like you ever think about world war world war one's like the craziest war ever. It started on horseback and ended with tanks and the tactics didn't change from when it was on horseback to when they had tanks. So basically they just told people and they got the machine guns. Now they can shoot, you know, hundreds of rounds, of, like a minute. And they're like, okay guys get up out of your trench and just run at that machine gun. And we're going to try and take it. And you know, they would just mow people down and they're like, they come back like, okay, in a few hours, we're going to try that again. And they just did that repeatedly until either everybody died or was hurt or was out or they broke or they took the machine gun nest eventually. Like, man, that's like that scene in uh, the new, um, whatchamacallit, All, All's Quiet on the Western Front uh, with the tank. Like how 
monstrous they made that tank. That was such a masterful editing job. That tank is terrifying. There's like a scene where they hear the rumbling, they get up and like, you know, they see the smoke and they, you just kind of see the tank emerge. And like, think about being there. It's kind of on, very similar to what I'm talking about with the Stooges, like, you know, being there when Surgeon Destroy is like recorded. Imagine being there when the first tank comes out on a battlefield. Like, what the hell are you supposed to do with your rifle against a freaking death machine made of metal that you can't shoot through and you have no idea how to take down? That is just mowing people over and there's nothing you can do about it. Oh, by the way, it's shooting artillery shells at you. It's not just like rolling through like a car. It's also shooting like artillery that will blow you to pieces. You know how terrifying that would be? Oh my god, man. World War One is insane. It is insane. The absolute... Like, if... In 1917, I will always say the true villain, the evil, most evil character in all of film... It's not the most evil character in all of film. I should take that back. Let's, let's not hyperbolize. One of the most evil characters is Benedict Cumberbatch's character. He's that general who only cares about his glory. So, the if you've never watched 1917, I'm about to spoil it. It's a fantastic movie. I I absolutely love that movie. Um, the whole thing is there's going to be, the Germans have a surprise for the allies. Uh, basically they've done like a false retreat to get them to kind of come in. They're going to basically wipe out a whole battalion of like 5,000 men. I think it's like 5,000, maybe even more. And so this guy, like these two guys have to go basically through enemy lines or like kind of go, basically go deliver the message to this general or major, whoever to call off this attack. And one of them finally gets there and it's the morning of, and they're about to do the attack and he tells them all about it. And Benedict Cumberbatch is like, well, nah, this is bullshit. And still wants to go ahead with anyway. And then when he says, like, no, this is, like, real, he's like, no, he's, like, pissed. He's so mad. He's so mad that they're going to call this off. Because he wants his glory. He wants the glory of, you know, this attack and maybe winning the war and all this stuff. Like, he wants the glory. It's like, yeah, he's willing to sacrifice, like, 5,000 men to get it. He's going to let 5,000 people die. So he can have his chance at glory. While he sits in his fucking bunker. All nice drinking his fucking tea. Because he's British. I'm getting to the F-bomb. Sorry. He's drinking his tea because he's British. Probably has a crumpet as well. British people. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> that's, you know, just sacrifice. You know, that's... that's Because, yeah. Because especially in, like, World War One, Like... People were just cattle. They they were you're like you. I mean, you still kind of are in most ways. I mean, that's what most billionaires and most rich people just look at you. You're just cattle to them. You're just livestock for them to exploit and like fatten up for their their wallets to get fatter for themselves. You know, fatten up the pigs of man. Watching your brothers meet their end. Yeah, I put it into a song the other day. Brandon's pretty good. Um. Oh, god. Anyway, Chambers by Ben Nichols is the second song of the week. Wow, we are way out there today. <laughs> oh, man. This song is just A-E-A. Like, you know, you do some like F minor sharp. It's a pretty simple song. It's just finger picked out. You got Rick Steff doing like, uh, he's got like his, uh, the accordion kind of going. And got a little bit of piano. Like, oh, it's a beautiful song. Like, uh, especially going to that chorus, but, you know, born under a South Kentucky sky, he'd come west to Mexico to fight. 1842 at Mir, the gutters filled with blood and fear, barely made it back to Texas alive. 
With Missouri volunteers when the war began, in 46 they crossed the Rio Grande. There he met his dark-eyed love, said goodbye when the war was done, said that he'd come back for her again. And one of my all-time favorite like like lyrics ever is in this song, and it's a simple line. It's like there's nothing like overly like there's nothing like I can point out and say that's why it's such a great line. It's just like I don't know. It's just one of those lines that like you identify with, or like it's a very romantic line. It's a very uh, it's a very uh, what's the right word? Romantic. Um, shit. What's a good one? This. It's definitely identifiable. It's def- definitely relatable. The idea of like, you know, let's get the lyric up here. <clears throat> Worked his way back to old Mexico to reclaim the love he'd left two years ago. Like, mm, like, you know, never forgetting that love, never forgetting that girl, Lucero girl, in my instance, the one girl that always got away. <laughs> um, yeah, like, it, 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 it's such a simple line that, like you hear that man, and like you know, this is a song that you kind of put your headphones on and just zone out and like just listen to the words, and you can just really see the whole painting, the whole picture, and just kind of seeing the whole thing playing out in your mind. It's a great story song. It's just really painting such a beautiful picture. Um, obviously, using Cormac McCarthy's wonderful novel as like kind of the inspiration here. Like it's just, it's just a beautiful song, and it's just like it's simple, and like I love the chorus, Oh Novia. Uh, your man is gone. Maybe he's in Texas, but we'll take what God has left us and we'll leave for California with the dawn. <sighs> and we talk about the Glantons, you know, here, man, the Glanton gang, the scalp hunters. God, man, that used to be a thing humans did to each other. They, I mean, they still do it. Let's not act like we don't do it anymore. Like we're so civilized. The scalping still not a thing. Scalping's still a thing. Ugh. You just cut people's scalps off. Like, and it was worth money. Like, and this was, like, a common... That, that's the thing. Like, it's now, like, a very, like, thing we look at, like, uh, This was a way to make a living in the American West. Like, after, like, the War of Mexico and, like, the 1840s, 1850s, this was a way to make your living, was going out and scalping people, especially if they were, quote-unquote, savages, you know, just because they looked different and had a different belief system than Manifest Destiny. They were savages. So, therefore, it's okay. Cut the tops of their heads off. It's fine. If they're kids, who cares? Just do it. I almost talked about Toadvine on this uh, this week's, because uh, there's a song Ben does about Toadvine. And, uh, yeah, that's a great song, too. This whole record's fantastic. Um, you got the, cham- not Chambers, I'm talking about Chambers right now, Tobin. Tobin about the priest. That's where that line, uh, uh, Judge Holden is the devil and his hell is Mexico. Yeah, man, that is... If you ever read Blood Meridian, that is the line from... If you didn't listen to this record, that's the line that will stick out to you most. Like, yep, that is what Blood Meridian is also truly about, is that Judge Holden is just the devil, and he resides in Mexico, just dancing and dancing and dancing, he'll never age, he'll never die, you know, he's a terrifying person, if you don't know, Judge Holden is like this seven foot tall, hairless albino man, who just loves violence, he's just a devil, and he never ages, and he's never going to die, he'll always be amongst us, because he truly is just the devil, (sighs) shivers man, shiver me timbers bro, (laughs) now this song talks about, you know, like, um, him join the Glanton gang and basically, you know, they get him out of jail 
and he joins a gang and then immediately books it to go find his old, like go find his love, you know, his dark eyed love, go find her. And then uh, the naked native scouts brought back his empty horse and his brand new gun. Cause they probably caught up with him and they killed him. I like to think he ditched both of those and eventually found her and they made their way to California. I really wish that would be true. I really hope that's true. My heart of hearts that these fictional characters made it because you, because the thing is like the veteran in the book, like, He's barely in it. I think it might be like a 20 page thing where he's kind of mentioned here and there, but he's not like some integral part to the novel. He's just kind of here. If you watch Wendigoons, um, uh, like six hour dissection of this book, which is, I highly recommend it. It's totally worth six hours to like, listen to him talk about this book. He barely talks about the veteran. Like, it's not like a huge part of the novel. Like, um, but to like, connect with that type of character. Well, yeah, I connect with all these types, these kind of uh, guys who wanted better themselves, do better for themselves. No, they've done wrong. And there's, they seek redemption in others. You know what I mean? I, I totally get with those people. So I totally get down, get down, get down, you know, I get down with those types. You know, I party with them. I party hard with them. For some reason, my voice is going, I may need to cough. Excuse me. <clears throat> okay. Excuse me. Yeah. Back his empty horse's brand new gun. I really hope the veteran made it. And he met his dark eyed love, and she was just as happy to see him as he was to see her. They made their way to California. They had kids, and they went on to lead happy lives. But the American West was not that romantic. They probably killed him. They probably cut the top of his head off. They probably scalped him. And, uh, yeah. But, you know, this is such a beautiful song. It's such a great song. It's like one every single time you listen to it, it's just one of those. Let me stop and just kind of sit here and enjoy this song, like that. The chorus, like it's just, mmm. It's that F sharp minor, and it's just, mmm. Right into D, and you got A E A. Oh man, it just it just flows. It's just one of those songs that flows. Ben did some tremendous work on this little solo EP. He did such tremendous work on it. And Rick is, this is, you know, Rick is so great as the backup with like all like the piano parts he plays on the record and all the accordion stuff. Like he really just adds such a layer and such a um, scope to the record. That might be a great word for it. It's like a scope. You really feel the emptiness, the vastness of what, like McCarthy was writing about. There's like a lot of parts of that book you're reading. You're like, man, it just goes on forever. Like, you know, it just doesn't end. Like, you know, the man is like also like the horrors of manifest destiny. And like, Oh man, it's just, God, this is such a great book. This is such a great song. It's, Oh, I love it. I love it so much. That's song number two this week. You know how Brandon said he's going to get you out within an hour. We're at like minute 45. And I haven't even started the lost rewatch yet. <laughs> Brandon doesn't have time. I don't have time. It's like already past midnight. And like, I got to be up in like nine hours to get ready for work. Like less than nine hours to get ready for work. <laughs> Wild. Oh man. Let's get into song number three. I'm going to try to get you guys out of here under two hours a night. <laughs> Jesus. I don't know what's going on. I really thought I'd be rushing through this. And I'm like, man, I don't even know if I'll hit like 45 minutes. I'm not even at the lost rewatch. We're 45 minutes in. Hey, you know, I still also have to upload the episode, so I'm, God, I'm going to be tired at work again tomorrow. At least I took a little bit of a nap, so maybe I won't be as tired.
whatever. Song number three is kind of in the same vein. It's definitely in the same geographical territory as Chambers by Ben Nichols. Um, this is also a friend of Lucero, a friend of Ben Nichols. Ben mentions him and Tears Don't Matter Much. This is Arkansas singer-songwriter and just awesome dude. I've met him. I talked about meeting him outside of Roomba Cafe, sitting on the sidewalk with him and hanging out and just doing cool stuff, talking about dads, talking about crappy jobs, all this crazy stuff we used to do back in the day. This is Corey Brennan. This song is off 2002's The Hell You Say, which is uh, one of my favorite album names. I just love saying that. The Hell You Say? It's just fun. Um, this song is called Whiskey Grove. This is a song about a guy who never stood a chance. From the day he was born to the day he died, he didn't get a chance. He, you know, it's like there's people you know, like especially where I'm from, I knew a lot of people who were born with very limited opportunity. Uh, you know, this like the hand they were dealt, they were everything had to go one way for them to have just the slightest chance of getting out or making anything of themselves just because of the circumstances they were born into. And this song, this is about a guy named Miguel Simone who had no opportunity. He had zero chance from the second he was born to ever making it. So like, and um, you know, that reflects in this song. It's one of those songs that just, it's a pretty simple, I think it's like C. It's like, I think it's in key, like the key of C. Why am I talking about keys tonight? That's weird. I never talk about keys, but it's like just, it's a very simple C, F, C, um, We'll walk down to A minor. Um, oh, this is such a great song. This is Corey at his youngest. <laughs> he doesn't quite have the weathered tone that his voice has now. Um, I would love for him to re-record the song with the voice he has now, which is a little more weathered and a little more aged. Like this could really go to a different level if he did it today. Like it's a great song now as it is, but man, like with what he's got working with now as vocals, like after years like smoking and hard living and touring town to town and ripping it up on stage with his nervous coked out in like almost like he's on coke but probably not on coke he's just like wired all the time type energy like i think uh whiskey grove could be one that would be like whoa um now this is i uh, texted karaoke chris earlier today because i had said to listen to cory brennan because i was in the shower this morning and i was like and survivor blues which i talked about way back in the day probably on an episode that's been pulled that I need to, I completed a couple episodes this week. I just need to get them scheduled. I'll probably try to do that for Christmas. Try to get most of the episodes re-uploaded on Christmas. Like just have like Christmas just so you get bombarded with Brandon released 45 episodes a day or something crazy like that. Probably won't be that many, but you know, um, try to get a few of them out. Um, and I talked, this is one of the songs like Survivor Blues is a song I broke down line by line because to me, I can put that song up against anybody, anybody, anywhere, anytime. I could put that song lyrically up against it and say, I can almost say Survivor Blues is the better song, like lyrically. It's that, that song is almost perfect. Like I was just thinking in the shower, like today it was just, um, no thanks, man. My baggage is packed. The name on my ankle, the knife in my back. <sighs> I know a place on a way out of town. That's as good as burned down. Jeez. It's as good as burned down. Oh, God, man, that's an incredible song. But I'm like, man, I haven't listened to Corey for a while. So I'm going to listen to it. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to listen. Like, and I was trying to remember Miss Ferguson. And I texted Kerry Chris about it. Because I basically asked him, like, what's the best Corey Brandon song that's not Survivor Blues? Because for me, Survivor Blues is easily his greatest song. That's his magnum opus. That's a, He even says that's his born to run. 
if the characters in Born to Run knew that running would do them no good because they can't outrun everything they've had in their life. <laughs> um, and he picked out, he picked a good one. And then he asked me, and I ended up saying, I was like, maybe Whiskey Grove, but also Prettiest Waitress in Memphis. He said Girl, Girl Named Go, which is a great song. It's a great song from 12 songs in 2006. So it was Prettiest Waitress, Prettiest Waitress in Memphis. That, the reason that song was way up there for me, because that was the first song I heard by Corey. It was just this crazy energy and just a fun song and just like this almost punkish, but not like cow punk rock and roll thing that he just was this, he was just, he was Corey Brandon, man. He was just uniquely him. Like, you know, there's guys that kind of sound like him, but there's like, they don't at the same time. They don't have the frenetic energy that Corey Brandon has. He just has this energy about him, especially when you watch him live, you're like, huh, he is so good at this. <laughs> he is. He's just really good at this. Um, I'm like, that's one of my favorite memories is sitting outside of Roomba Cafe talking to him. But this song is Whiskey Grove. And this song is a sad one. It is a sad one, and it is one that just kind of like paints you the picture of like Miguel Simone never had it easy and never got a break in his life. Like, you know, his name was Miguel Simone, the man who walked alone. At least that's what it says on the stone under the sycamore. You know, his mother was dead by the time he was born. In the black of his eyes, the gypsy nurse warned she could already see his path torn between the sun and the moon. Ma'am. And talks about you know meeting a wife like oh my god dude this song I freaking love this song so fucking much sorry I think I'm doing a pretty decent job of not cursing as much and I'll probably listen back and be like nope nope I cursed a lot but man um, I once knew the love of a wife sometimes a nectar sometimes a knife but it always seems that my life was lived alongside of things. Three children born one hot July, she clutched the one that did not die. The heat and light just passed by as I carried the other two, and I still carry the other two. Oh, my God. That's a gut punch of a verse there. That's a gut puncher. Yes, you know, triplets are born, two of them die because they live in poor circumstances. Two of them pass, and he has to go bury the other two, and he still carries them with him to this day because that's what a father does, or that's what a parent does when they lose them. They always carry that guilt, that shame of not being able to protect their children with them forever if they're good parents. There's some out there, I know, I, yeah, there's people out there I don't like that uh, like to carry... I don't want to be mean here. I don't want to be too mean. There's some people I know out there that I know use their child who has passed away as a nice way to get the attention for themselves. And uh, they're great people. I love them. They're just the wonderful people. Just the best, you know. You know, never took care of their kid at all. Then their kid tragically passes. And then they're like, oh, he was just my pride and joy that I kind of don't even know how to spell. I don't even remember how I spelled his name originally. I'm not sure why I'm doing that stupid voice, but, you know, you know, they're out there. You probably know some of them yourself for the worst. No, but man, that is such a gut punch. Because like even like he's like you know I carried the other two, and then he comes in like real like Corey comes in like really quiet and really repentant, really um, re reflective, introspective. I still carry the other two, and it's like, <sighs> and like you really like, and he even kind of like the music kind of drops out and almost feels like. A wind, or kind of like, like kind of like that, like uh, that spacious nature feeling around it of just kind of sitting in that feeling, 
is the way they produce the song. And then he comes back in with the chorus and like, you know, it's just, mm. you know, this is, you know, and this song occupies the same space. I'm, I'm talking about geog geographically as say chambers or last pale light in the West. This is definitely somebody who lives like in the American Southwest where, you know, the place where the daylight was killed and the blood of the blue moon late spilled, you know, it's a place where the cup passeth over for good, and even Jesus would have hid if he could. In that forsaken stretch of wood they call Whiskey Grove. It's like, yep. And, you know, in the chorus, man, like, I get this I get this one hard. Roll me in my last shallow bed. Use cheap carpenter tacks in the lid. Waste not the silk on my head my lover has wove. See that no roses touch my grave. No prayers to a God I never forgave. No final wishes, save that you bury my body and me down by Whiskey Grove. It's a guy who's like, you know, it's a guy who, um, you know what? There's people out there who take like hard lives and stuff like that, and they will praise God to the day they die. Good for them if they go that way, you know. But this is not one. It's like, no, there's these people out there that just, no, just, no, I'm not forgiving you for what you, the hand you dealt. Because uh, that's a big part of like people who lose faith and lose religion and stuff like that. It comes down to the fair question. It's always, that's not fair. Why would you create a world where that's not fair? Where they don't understand a plan, like maybe whatever you want to call God's plan or whatever, where you don't understand that. Like uh, Midnight Mass does this wonderfully with multiple characters about them wrestling their faith and wrestling the world they see around them. And how that combines the two and about how, how can a God exist if this also exists? This doesn't make any sense. Stephen Fry also has a great argument about this. I mean, it's just, that's where I see the majority of people who um, either grew up religious, lose their faith at, is always in these type of things um, where it's not fair. Like uh, in Midnight Mass, I'll spoil a little bit of it. Riley's talking to the priest about, you know, how is like how is it God's plan for me to get behind the wheel drunk of a car and kill somebody? How is that God's plan? How is that fair to the girl that I killed? Um, how is it fair that Lisa Scarborough, who's just walking with her dad, gets accidentally shot and is paralyzed for the rest of her life? How is that fair? How does that make any sense? Then you also have uh, uh, Sheriff Hassan, the character, the Islamic character, play Raul Coley, who's having this big wrestling moment with his faith. Like his wife was devout. Like she prayed every day and she died of this very painful, debilitating cancer that, you know, she, you know, died screaming in agony because of like the horrors, the horrors of cancer. And, you know, but she was steadfast in her faith, steadfast, you know, prayed every single day, did everything. She was devout as could be. But God didn't give her a miracle. But then God comes in and it seems within the context of the show gives Lisa Scarborough a miracle where she can walk again. Like he gives, she gives he gives her that, but he doesn't give it to his wife, who was devout as could be. That doesn't make sense. That's not fair. So you get these that's God, Midnight Mass is so good. You're wrestling with all these ideas of faith and all these tests of it. And ultimately the true answer is it from my God's perspective, like tough. You don't get to know the plan. Like in a lot of people, they take exception to that. It's like, that doesn't make sense. Why? <laughs> like the unfairness you see in the world, like Stephen Fry makes the argument, like, you know, he, like uh, somebody asks, like, what if God does exist? And he says, well, the first thing I would say is how dare you? Like, <laughs> like, cause he brings up like, there's a parasite. I think it's in Africa. That's entire existence. The entire existence of this parasite is to, burrow into children and burrow into eyes typically of children and basically eat their eyes from the inside out and make them blind that's the whole point of this parasite there's no other like use for it 
That's the whole reason it exists, is to do this horrible thing. There's no good that comes from this parasite. Only evil comes from it. So he's like, I would look at God and say, how dare you create something like that? What was your point? Like, and then you ask us to bend over backwards to praise you every second of every day. When you create this, why? And like, that's where so many people lose their faith. I mean, that's probably where I lost a lot of my faith. Also with, you know, there's certain scandals that I will never, I won't go into here with the Catholic Church that obviously also didn't help my faith. Also, it never made sense to me. I've talked about that at length. And things just never made sense to me. Um, And like, man. And this song kind of deals with that, like a, a guy who deals with stuff like that. And the other parts of fairness, like, you know, you see these for-profit preachers out there. And, oh, I'm about to get into it now. We're getting into it. Brandon's about to go cross-eyed. Um, you get these for-profit preachers out there. There's one, I think Copeland, I think is his name, Kenneth Copeland, that piece of human trash, like, you know, gets a new private jet. He's like, oh, well, I need a new runway for my new private jets. I need your donations, congregation. And people just give him the freaking money. You got Joel Osteen, his fake-ass teeth and his fake-ass faith, like out there stealing money from people. Say, hey, if you give me uh, give me $1,000, I'll set a prayer up to God for you. And they give him the freaking money, tax-free, because it's church-related. Like, get this bullshit out of here. Take a breath, Brandon. Take a breath. <sighs> I hate for-profit preachers. Like, seriously. I hate them worse than billionaires. I do. Because they're preying on, like, like billionaires are preying on a system. They are preying on a system that's in place. Like, they really are. Like, but for-profit preachers are preying on faith. They are preying on um, people's, like, how's the best word? They're preying on people's, in, not insecurities, that's the best word. They're preying on people's that their faith, they're preying on their, I guess insecurities would be kind of the word for it, maybe. They're preying on their their helplessness. They're preying on their uh, fragility, especially like when the people have cancer. Like, oh, I'll send a prayer up. He's like, oh, you have cancer? I'll send a prayer to God. Uh, see if he'll cure your cancer. Just give me $1,000. Give me $100 for a prayer. It's like, <laughs> apologies here. Fuck those motherfuckers, and I hope they all die of the worst possible cancers imaginable. Fuck them. Fuck those pieces of shit. I hate every single one of those motherfuckers. Apologies. I know that was a lot of F-bombs, and I'm trying to cut back, but really, I don't know how you look at somebody like Joel Osteen or Kenneth Copeland or Billy Graham back in the day or all these freaking people that the Righteous Gemstones wonderfully make fun of. I don't know how you look at those people and say, that's okay. That's fine in our society. Like when Joel Osteen has a church in Houston, and Houston is ravaged by a hurricane, and he won't open the church's doors for people to walk into. That's one of my other favorite parts of Midnight Mass, to bring back Midnight Mass into this thing about songs of the week. We're in the songs of the week right now, and we're talking about midnight mass and for-profit preaching. Wow. Um, is that at the end, all of the chaos is going on, and you have Bev Keen, who is a terrifying villain of a character, who is basically playing judge, jury, and executioner. She's God. She is, she's, you know, what, St. Peter at the gates. She's the one who's deciding who gets paradise and who doesn't. She's taking it upon herself to give herself that power. And so... But instead, then you finally have the priest. Father Paul finally realizes what he's actually truly done. And he says, like, no, you can come into church. Like, it's like, the, like how's he say it? If the, it's basically, if the doors aren't open, this isn't truly a house of God. You know, like, 
house of God, like and truly a church, its doors are always open for those who need it at all times. And you have piece of trash, Joel Osteen, during a hurricane saying, no, you can't come into my mega church because uh, that's not how this works. You're not a member here. Piece of trash. Fuck that guy. Fuck him. Trash. He's a piece of trash. All of them are pieces of trash. For profit, the profit preaching is one of the worst things in America. It is the worst thing in America. It is preying on the needing, the needless, uh, the preying on the needy. It's preying on the hopeless. It's preying on all these people in society. It's ba- it's the scam. It's the night. It's like I'd rather my mom get screwed over by the Prince of Nigeria scam from 1999 than a for profit preacher. Like, you know, because those guys are preying on something completely different than what those are. They're preying on your religion. They're preying on your faith. Like, mm. <sighs> Take a deep breath again, Brandon. <sighs> We're in it. We are in it. Wow. Hmm. I don't know, man. This is Songs of the Week, once again. <laughs> uh, this is this is absolutely insane. Brandon is absolutely crazy. I am an absolute crazy person. I think Irrational Brandon's talking tonight. I think that's the problem. I think he's out and about. I think he's out here looking for problems. He's, hey, he's out here to cause some problems. He's here lobbing grenades into the gasoline, man. He's throwing a grenade at the gas station. This is what's happening right now. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This is ridiculous. Whew. Anyways. This is Songs of the Week. We're over an hour in. So, Wow. I'm gonna try and be do loss as quick as possible. That's song number three. This is that's Whiskey Grove by Corey Brennan off the Hell You Say 2002, which is a fantastic record. It's one of those records I really wish I had on vinyl, but I can't find it anywhere because it's like 2002 is a kind of a hard year to find like kind of independent music on vinyl in a lot of places because they don't get repressed very often, and the initial pressings weren't they didn't press a lot of them, so they're really hard to find. And if you do find them, it's like somebody who wants like $500 because they know they're so difficult to find. Maybe he's got it out there because it's been over 20 years. Maybe he did a 20-year. Who knows? I don't know. I'll have to look into it. That's Songs of the Week. Man. This has been a ride, guys. This has been an absolute ride of an episode. This has been... This is the highway to hell. (laughs) Oh my god. Okay. It's time for the Wall Street Watch. Let's hopefully I, I try to get this done in under 20 minutes. I'm going to try to really kind of, I'm not going to try to rush through it because I do want to take time with it because I enjoy both these episodes. Um, I like Dr. Linus a lot. It was a really good episode. Once again, Michael Emerson's so great. And real quick, Michael Emerson's in the new Fallout show. I watched the trailer for it. I had decent hopes for it. I kind of initially was like, oh god, they're going to really screw this up, aren't they? From the trailer, it seemed it kind of captured the tone of fallout pretty decently. I like the casting. I mean, Mike Wimerson, um, is it Ella Purnell? I, I can't remember her name. She's in, uh, yellow jacket. She's been in a couple other things. I liked her in yellow jackets a lot. Um, Oh shoot. Walter Goggins is in it. Um, I don't know. I have decent hopes for it. I think it might be all right. I'm hoping with the last of us and the success of it and showing how 
oh, being true to the video game or being true to the lore of the video game and kind of using that and then using kind of what they establish in the video game to build things instead of just creating your own shit for it and just saying, oh, you know, just throw that in there. That'll work. Like, uh, AKA the garbage that is the Witcher, um, which the witch is based on books. So about the same time, it's like, just taking the lore and just like, oh, we're just going to do whatever we want with it. Uh, Rings of Power is the best example. It's like, hey, we're just going to do whatever we feel like. And like, we don't care. But instead, it's like taking the lore and building, like, like taking it's like, oh, using that for your ideas. Hopefully, we'll build better video game adaptations and more better adaptations as we move forward. So, I don't know. Because adaptations have been garbage for a little bit. Like, very garbage. The Last of Us, hopefully is giving us a hope of what it can be. I'm still excited for season two of The Last of Us because I really want to see, because that game one is obviously universal acclaim. Game two is very polarizing. And I want to know how they're going to do everything and whether how it's going to be as received. It's going to be interesting, man. It's going to be really interesting, dog. Anyway, Lost Rewatch. We got episodes, what, seven and eight? It should be seven and eight. Yeah, seven and eight, Dr. Linus and Recon. Dr. Linus was excellent because Michael Emerson is excellent. Um, I think this is basically kind of fixing how I talked about last week about, you know, how they made it seem like Ben was going to be with Locke the rest of the way with Dead is Dead last season. And then he's not at all with this one. So they kind of basically redo his uh, redemption thing about his daughter's death. They kind of redo it here. It's kind of a little weird, but I think it works very well. And once again, it's just... Mm. You see Tanya Ramon, and like, as weird as it is, you feel so good for Ben to have these moments with Alex, even though he kidnapped Alex and made her believe that he was her dad for her entire life until she was like 17, 18 years old. It's really gross and weird, but you sympathize with the gross weird dude. <laughs> Oh, let's get into the episode. We get quite a bit of arts here. Daniel Robux in it. I kind of forgot how much arts is in season six. It's kind of really weird how often he's in it. <laughs> like he was in more episodes, I think, in season six than he was in season one when he was like around for like the right there at the tail end of it. It's so weird. <laughs> William Atherton shows up as well. It's a pretty good thing. Um, in 2004, uh, Dr. Linus, you know, he's a teacher at a high school. He's talking about Napoleon, about how Napoleon had to go, what, to Etna? Or is it Etna or Elba? Elba, the, uh, Elba Island. He got to still be called the emperor, but he really ruled nothing. And, like, he's, like, he's better off he'd been dead. Kind of like an allegory for Ben and his whole life. But the idea that like, he was the leader of the island, and even though he was, like, kind of – he was still alive and around, he wasn't allowed to be the leader of the island. So, really, he would have been better off dead. That's kind of a little allegory they're doing there. Um, the principal comes by, he's like, oh, we got to cancel your history club and you got to teach because of cutbacks. You got to be part of a uh, detention. So, you know, he's all mad and he's venting to arts in the teacher's lounge and uh, substitute teacher John Locke's like, why don't you become the principal? And she's like, maybe I should be doing the principal. And you start seeing like what I do really like about the flash sideways. I'll talk about the flash sideways in both episodes is that a lot of it shows that even though these characters lives are much different they're still hindered by those things that hindered them in their lives with the island like jack still has the issues with his father that causes the friction between him and his own son um 
Locke is still paralyzed, still can't go on his walkabout. And he's, you know, he, he's like one of the only ones that seems to have any growth in the difference between what he is with the island in his life and without the island in his life. Uh, Kate is still a criminal. She's still on the run. She still has all these issues and she's still kind of a pretty bad person. Um, Sawyer, even though he becomes a cop and, instead of a criminal, he's still basically kind of stuck in this whole idea of revenge. He becomes a cop to basically seek revenge on Sawyer. You know, instead of becoming a criminal to seek revenge on Sawyer, he's still hindered by that thing. And he basically still can't let anybody in, as we see in his episode, which we'll get there. Anyway, um, so Ben's at home. We got his father, John Grease. I think this is his last uh, show up here. They have a better relationship. And they talk about going to the island and joining the Dharma Initiative, going to the island, but leaving. And I don't know, man. I don't know about that. It's just... The incident is the absolute key to all this, but at the same time, this ends up not being real. It's not a real alternate timeline. It's a purgatory for way after everybody dies so they can move on to the whatever's after this. Spoilers, by the way, for the final episode, but like that's what this is. This isn't an actual alternate timeline. It just... Yeah, that's the issue, is that what this in, like the whole sideways ends up being doesn't really fucking matter. Sorry. But they seem to have a better relationship. Uh, his father's sick, and like Ben's taking care of him and stuff like that. Like They, they just seem to have a much better dynamic, you know? And, and like his dad's like, this is not what I wanted from you, because like, you know, uh, Ben is a professor, he's a doctorate who only teaches high school, blah, 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 blah. Whatever. Um, let's see. Ben... Is thinking about becoming, you know, he gets a knock at the door and it's uh, Alex, and Alex is just one of his students. And she's like, uh, oh, you know, she's trying to get into Yale. And uh, she's like, oh, I really need the extra tutoring. So, like, they meet in the library the next morning. He's tutoring her, and she tells him about how the principal um, was having relations with the nurse, like, on school, like, time, on school grounds, like, you know, very improper conduct type stuff. And uh, Ben goes into island Ben mode, and he's going to start using that towards, like, his advantage. And he gets, like, arts to hack into some emails. He's going to blackmail the uh, principal to either get him, get him to resign so he can become principal. But then he's like, well, since he's the only one who, since the principal's the only one that's ever been to Yale, he can write a great letter of recommendation for Alex. And he's like, basically, I won't write that letter of recommendation if you carry out this blackmail. So he's not willing to sacrifice Alex's future because he's her father kind of still even though he's just a teacher in this one whatever uh he backs down arch is upset he doesn't get his parking place it's fine and she he writes the great uh letter of recommendation and alex you know she's gonna get to go to yale and it's all great and he's willing to sacrifice his own wants for alex which is not what he did in season four which is the crux of what's going on on island so ben's running through the jungle he falls down he happens to be running right towards where alana and all them are um she makes another reference to like in you know how the man in black killed Jacob and he's like yeah and he's like you're Alec or you're uh, Miles Miles Strong you're you know you're basically the uh, telepathic person you can talk to dead people or whatever he's like yeah so she gives him my uh, Jacob's ashes and he's like yeah Linus killed him and he's like what me who me Ben Linus what are you talking about and yeah so she's not happy she's like yeah Jacob's the only father I ever had. So she's not happy. So they go back to the beach and they're basically resetting it up. Um, she eventually goes and Ben's trying to like, you know, 
psychics are never reliable and she just won't talk to him. But then she comes over and um, she makes him go over to the graveyard and she like shackles him, gives him like the little shovel thing they made out of bamboo, which looks so freaking cool. And um, she's like, dig a grave. It's for you. She's going to kill him. And like, so he's digging and Miles comes by and talks to him. And he's like, uh, he's like, Miles, do you still want that $3.2 million? Like, I have all these connections. He's like, why would I do that when there's two bozos over here named Nikki and Paolo who have $8 million of diamonds buried with them? Because he can hear Nikki and Paolo's thoughts, too. And it's like, oh, it's a great way. And at the end, you see Miles with, like, the diamonds. It's like, hell yeah, Miles, get paid, son. Love Miles, man. Um, uh, Let's see, where are we at here? Did I fall asleep during that? Did I doze off? Man, I missed this whole thing. Did I... What the hell happened? I don't... I forget this whole thing happened. The Man in Black shows up. How did I miss this? I don't remember this happening at all. I just watched this episode. The Man in Black, as John Locke shows up, and he's able to free Ben. Did I mean just like doze off for a quick second? I must have. My bad, guys. Um, he frees Ben. And he's like, "There's a, there's a gun, two hundred yards in the jungle. You can kill Alana. Basically, join me, and you know, you're forgiven. You know, Alana's trying to recapture him. Ben finds the rifle. He gets to drop on her. He's got it. But instead of shooting her, he just wants to explain why he killed Jacob. Because even Miles tells, like, because like, uh, J- uh, Ben tells Miles, like, Jacob didn't even care that I killed him. He's like, "Oh yeah, he did. He he totally cared." It's like his last thoughts before it's like right up until the knife went to his heart was he's hoped he was wrong about you. And it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> so it was pretty cool. Miles is great in this episode. And the little uses they gave him. It was fantastic for Miles. Uh, he explains why he killed Jacob. It's like he was so afraid of losing the position on the island. And he felt rejected by Jacob because, you know, Jacob never truly accepted Ben. You know, he always worked through Richard to talk to Ben instead of actually talking to Ben himself. He never got to see Jacob until he killed him. And then, like, uh, ultimately, he was. He sacrificed everything for the island. The island never seemed to give anything back because he did sacrifice at the end. He chose the island over his own daughter's life. And he's never been able to forgive himself for that. So it's kind of the same thing what he was working with with Dead and Dead, dead is Dead. But we just don't have the man in black kind of manipulating the whole situation by being Dead Alex. Um, able to forgive himself and then Alana forgives Ben for it. She understands Ben, so she allows him to rejoin. Um, and the uh, B plot here, you've got Jack and Hurley walking, coming back to the temple. They come across Richard. Richard's like, oh no, it's like, uh, temple's this way. And he takes him to the black rock. And since Jacob has died, Richard wants to kill himself, but he can't because since Jacob has given him, uh, immortality, he can't kill himself. So he's like, if you guys like the fuse, you can kill me. You guys can kill me. And, you know, and they ask him, he's like, you know, I followed this man for longer than you can ever imagine. And he kept telling me he had a plan. And he never told me the plan. But he's like, in a good time, he'll tell me his plan. Now that man's dead. And I've realized my entire life is wasted. And like, so he just wants, he just wants to die. So Jack's like, he'll do it. And like Hurley's flipping out. And he's like, Ugh. so Jack lights the dynamite. But then Jack sits down. He's like, let's talk. And Jack's like, uh, he's like, I don't think. He's like, no, I just went to a lighthouse where I saw my name on a dial. And I saw the house I grew up in. It's like, if that's the case, and I've been being watched since I was a child, I don't think I'm going to die. I don't think this dynamite's here to kill me. And the dynamite, right before it's about to blow up, the fuse goes out, and it doesn't blow. And it's like, 
So he's like, uh, so he basically stands up. This is Jack starting to become Jacob. This is Jack's kind of morphing into the Jacob character. And he's like, this is Jack accepting fate and understanding there's a, ultimately a plan in place. He can't have to fight it at all times. So and then he's like, he convinces Richard that they're on the island for a reason. And they do have a purpose. Nice. And they go back. You have a great little, you know, you have the music scene. It's kind of like a little bit of Ben's motif and still a little bit of like the typical reunion motif that uh, Gichino plays. It's great. Son looks over and sees uh, Hurley and Jack and Richard come out. She goes there and gives him like a big hug. And it's great. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. The reunion scenes are always so wonderful. I'm so pumped up to see the Jin and Son reunion, even though they've done nothing with Son for over a season now. <laughs> And then they get together just to die. It's uh, anyways, at the very end, you see um kind of like a look through a submarine, like a, that little thing that goes up for a submarine staring at the beach. And you see that Charles Woodmore has arrived on the island. He's the guy looking for the island. So Charles Woodmore's here. And we're gonna get into why I end up hating this eventually in a couple weeks. So, but whatever. Great episode. I like this episode a lot. You know, this is this is better than Sundown. This is the best episode of the season so far. This is easily, this is A-minus territory. This was fantastic from start to end. I love the Flash Sideways stuff. Like, I always liked the Ben. I like Ben evaluating his whole life, the seeking forgiveness stuff. I talked about it with Dead is Dead. Like, just give me a character who knows he's done wrong and is just seeking his forgiveness or seeking his redemption from it. Just give me that all day long. I'll watch anything about that. <laughs> I'll read anything about that. I'll write songs about it. I'll do whatever. I love it. Um, and Emerson just kills it. And it's always great to see Tanya Ramon. It's great to see the little characters here and there. It's fantastic. This is just, this is great stuff for me. Like, um, I don't know. It's just, I like the subplot in that with the whole blackmail stuff, just because it's like the on island bins. It like everything. Like, I, I like because, um, Roger even says it. It's like, oh, who knows what our lives could have been if we stayed with the Dharma Initiative. And it's like, oh, man. It's like, it's that whole idea every time you look at something and like, oh, you have like this regret that you think that no matter if like if you just did that, everything would have been perfect. Everything would have been better if we did that. And not with the idea that if he did that, Ben becomes this murderous, traitorous asshole who murders hundreds of people, murders his own father. <laughs> like, he, like he kills an entire village of people. Like He's this genocidal maniac. <laughs> You don't think that would be the possibility. If we would just stay with the Dharma Initiative, I wonder if my son would have became a genocidal maniac. <laughs> that doesn't come in your mind. Uh, but yeah, this is this is great stuff. I, I absolutely love this episode. This is the best of season six so far. I'm wondering if Abaterno is going to be better because I remember absolutely adoring Abaterno when it comes to that. That'll be next week. So the next episode is Recon. That is, This is the Ford uh, Sawyer episode. This is not as good. Um, I liked it in quite a few bits, but I mean, it's... Mm. There's, it's just a little une uneven. I think um, the introductions and stuff is just whatever, but we'll get there. Anyway, 2004, Flash Sideways, for, uh, James Sawyer Ford is a cop in L for the LAPD. His partner is Miles. It's cool. He's looking for Anthony Cooper on the phone, man. He's like that. And he does the whole thing at the beginning where it makes him like he's still a con. He does that whole pitch and drop thing where... Oh, I'm late for my meeting. He goes and picks up his briefcase and all the money falls out. The girl sees right through it, but he's like, well, and he's like, uh, I can't remember what he says, but then here comes the cops come bursting through the door and he's like a cop. I'm like, can these charges stand up when the fact he just was like having, he actually just had sex with her. Isn't that entrapment? I think that it would be entrapment. I, can't, I don't know how entrapment always works, but I think that is like if a cop 
has se- like has sex with somebody and then arrests him like basically does that i think that becomes entrapment <laughs> i don't think a cop can just bang people and then arrest them <laughs> i mean maybe they can i don't know i don't know anything so <laughs> um miles thinks that sawyer was in palm springs when he's actually in australia Miles understands that he's doing something like as uh, like what's going on. He's like, you know, you can tell me anything, right? And he doesn't. Uh, Miles arranges Sawyer to go on a date, and who's his date with? Charlotte Lewis. Yeah, Charlotte comes back here looking great, and um, they hit up rather well. They go have sex, and then she asks uh, Sawyer for a t-shirt. He's like, oh yeah, in the top drawer. She goes in there, and she finds the Sawyer folder all about Anthony Cooper and the death of his parents and all that. And Sawyer flips out about it, and he throws her out. And like, you know, then Miles confronts Sawyer the next day and he thinks it's about Charlotte, but no, it's actually about you're in Australia. What the hell are you doing in Australia? And he won't like, um, he won't stop, you know, he, and Sawyer won't tell him and he's like, you know, back off. And he's like, I'm not your partner anymore. Sawyer punches a window or punches a mirror. He's all pissy. So then, uh, Sawyer realizes he's pretty lonely and doesn't have anybody because he's basically isolated himself with the Sawyer stuff, the, you know, chasing the ghost of Sawyer throughout his entire life. So, like, uh, he tries to go apologize to Charlotte. She's like, nah, go go after yourself there, pal. He threw me out at 3 o'clock in the morning. Go after yourself. So he leaves the uh, leaves the little sunflower at her door and walks away. I thought we got Juliet in this episode, but we do not. So, hmm. Um, so then Sawyer goes to work the next day. He gets uh, Miles in the car, and he tells him about the Sawyer stuff. So it's, like, basically, even though Sawyer's life pre the, like, 9-11, or 9-11, what the hell? Oceanic Flight 815. <laughs> Oh, 9-11 come from <laughs> pre that has been awful you know with him basically chasing the ghost of the person who ultimately kind of killed his father and his mother um if a flight flight 15 a 15 lands as you see if the flight was landing and stuff like that like even though all this some of the stuff not real or doesn't didn't happen in the original timeline the actual timeline whatever um he's able to start working through those things that he's able to work through on the island so really i don't know What's that saying? Who knows? Anyway, their car gets hit by a driver. Uh, They go chasing after him, and you automatically knew it was Kate. It was pretty simple, even though they kept her kind of hidden. He chases her down. He recognizes her like, oh, hey, yo, what's up, girl? What's this? This is wild. Anyways, back on the island. By the way, this is the first episode for Sawyer, like four episodes. This is the first time we've seen Sawyer since The Substitute, which is episode four. This is episode eight. I said the efficiency of using characters is really off in the late seasons. Like this has been one of your star characters for the entire show. And you left him out of the final season for a huge portion of it. And yeah, like even though you did the whole thing to recruit Sawyer in the substitute, and it seems like, Oh man, Sawyer's joined the man in black immediately in this episode. Sawyer's just doing his own shit and he just wants to get off the Island and he doesn't care. And he's born a pity of everybody against each other. He doesn't care. I'm like, there was so much potential in the Civil War type idea of like Saeed, Claire, Sawyer being on the side of Man in Black and having like Hurley, Jack, Son, Jen on the other side. Like, and just where that could go could have been a lot of fun or interesting. And they just don't follow through with most of it. And it's frustrating. Anyways, uh, Man in Black has led the others um, to run a view with Sawyer. Um, who has found Jen at uh, Claire's little crazy p- house of pain or house palace or whatever that thing is, the little hut thing she's kind of built out of sticks. Uh, she's playing around with the little uh, the little doll thing, and 
Kate's like, what's that thing? What's that crazy little freaking thing you got there, Claire? It looks like you're a crazy person. She's like, oh, it's the only thing I had. And it's like, well, maybe you shouldn't have walked off into the jungle in the middle of the night to hang out with your dad and leaving your baby behind. Like, that's the thing with the Claire crazy thing. Like, she's all mad that they took Aaron. It's like, you left Aaron. You left him behind with Sawyer and Miles. What are you talking about? They took him. You left him. Which at the same time, maybe the man in black is completely manipulated and she's just that batshit crazy now. That's fine. But man, not having Claire in season five, they kind of like show kind of this like kind of like her where she was at the end of season four to when she shows back up season six is such a leap of the character that it's really, it's very jarring. It's like, does she not, like, I don't get why she's, like, obviously being alone for three years would make you this crazy. Yeah, that's fine. But not seeing it and the character development itself is very jarring. So, I don't know. That's where Claire kind of is a mess here. And then they don't fix her in the right way in the last episode, which I'll get to and I'll not be happy about. But we'll get there. Anyway, uh, Man of Black sends re- uh, Sawyer on a recon, name of the episode, mission over to uh, Hydra Island. He gets over there. There's dead bodies. Everybody by the uh, plane. There's this one chick running around. He finds her. She's like, I'm Zoe. Uh, I'm the only one left. And she's like, yeah. It's like, I came. And then all of a sudden I heard these shots. And uh, everybody was dead. And I spent the last two days bringing them all to this one area. And like, uh, Sawyer sees through this. Zoe is uh, not who she says she is. He's like, take me to whoever's in charge. And some nerdy looking dudes pop out of the woods here and like they're like they got like their belts on and they got their like nice short sleeve shirts tucked in and it's like well you just leave a science fair convention you nerds what the hell are you talking about you're in you're in the south pacific wear some decent clothing man anyway they go to a uh submarine Woodmore's on there he sees a locked door he's like what's in here he's like none of your business desmond's in there just so you know it's not as cool as you hoped it would be but we'll get there um where are we at Back of the camp. That's where we're at. Back of the camp. Kate is trying to talk to Saeed. Saeed is completely despondent and just not caring. He's dealing with what he did in Sundown, which I don't like. I think it would have been far more interesting just that Saeed was infected and, and is evil now. He could have been a great second baddie, a secondary baddie to the man in black in this. But they don't do that. But whatever. It's fine. It's fine. Saeed just, from this moment, like, this is literally basically all Saeed does the rest of the season. He doesn't do anything else. He just kind of sits there despondent. And then he sacrifices himself in The Last Recruit, or The Candidate, one of those episodes. That's it. That's it. (laughs) It's not great. Maybe he does more things, and we'll see that. But as of right now, that's all I can remember him doing is him sitting despondent, then grabbing a bomb and blowing himself up, which we can talk about that in a completely different discussion, but whatever. Um, Claire attacks Kate, trying to kill her for taking um, Aaron, and then the man in black comes over and breaks it up, and then um, he like throws Claire like f- three or four feet, and, like picks her up and just chucks her. And then she's like, oh, I, she took my baby. And then he slaps her in the face. I'm like, whoa, Jesus, I get that you're the bad guy, but come on, man. 
And he's like, I lied to you. I told you you took him. And she, he tells Kate later, he's like, I needed her to hate something that keep her going. She needed something to keep her going. So I gave her the story that the others took her baby to have her hate something to keep her going. So he basically, he, you know, he gaslit uh, Claire <laughs> like to force her into his way of thinking. Um, it's all right. Something to hold on to, as they say. Claire apologizes to Kate and thanks her for taking care of Aaron. So that whole subplot's over. So whatever. Like I said, they kind of just, it feels like they skip like three or four episodes. They really could have done more with crazy, crazy Claire. They could have done more with Saeed. They could have done more with this, but they just don't go for it. At this point, you're in your last season. You're a completely independent IP. This is a completely original IP. There's no like books you're based off of that you're kind of hamstrung with. Like, well, we want to make sure that we don't, character assassinate like they did with like Jamie Lannister in Game of Thrones where they basically just like retcon everything in the last season just because they felt like it um, you're not like hindered by that you could have just went for it if it doesn't work it doesn't work because what you did here also didn't work so whatever um, Sawyer you know talks to Widmore and he's like oh how about I tell him it's all the coast is clear of here I didn't see anything and I bring Locke back and you kill him and he's like, oh, he has to do that. And he comes back, and Sawyer immediately tells Locke about the plan to take him over there and kill him. And then Sawyer, like, tells the whole plan to Kate. And plan's like, oh, we're going to play against each other. He's like, oh, we need to get somebody to go fly the plane. He's like, no, we're going to get out of here on the sub, which I think would be far more difficult. Like, I'm not saying flying, like, a seven, like 747 or anything like that is easy. It's not. It's very difficult. But I also think, like, piloting a submarine would be even more difficult. I think. I think piloting a submarine would be far more difficult than flying the 747. Or, it, like, he's like, nah, we're not taking the plane. We're taking the sub. And it's like, what? You're taking the sub? That doesn't seem like the easier plan. Like, you have, like, you have to steal the sub. Then you have to get people to man it and operate it. You know Lapidus is, like, maybe they don't know Lapidus is alive. But, I mean, you can probably have a better chance of flying that plane than you do of manning that sub yourselves by two people. I don't know. But whatever. Lost. That's the end of the episode. Recon's fine. It's probably B minus. Like I like uh like Sawyer's good in the episode itself. Um it's just I don't know. It's I really wish they would have really committed to the idea of Sawyer picking Locke, or at least like with the other ones, like this like giving us a little bit not so much baddies, but the issue with like Flock is that Flock really does end up being like the evil character. They do like they, they did the same thing with the captain in season four, like don't trust the captain, don't trust the captain, don't trust the captain, and it's like you never get a reason why you don't trust the captain. And they did this a couple times early in this season, where like you know uh, they talk about like Bram and Alana, and they like they you know Lapis like they say they're the good guys, like yeah I don't believe them either, but you never get a reason why they're not the good guys. They end up being the good characters like you have like the idea that maybe Jacob's not like the good side like a couple times but it never really bleeds into that it never gets gray enough with these characters like Flockens Abinia he's the evil one and Jacob is the good one he is the protector of the island he is the one that's like guarding light and you know and keeping the darkness out of the world so it's like if they could have just graded up a little bit more you could have had this whole idea of like you know Sawyer, Saeed, and Claire, but I mean, really, Saeed and uh, Claire, if you did this right, would be evil people anyway, because Saeed just caused a massacre at a temple, and Saeed and Claire's crazy. Like, you could have done something where you, like, maybe you are kind of rooting for the man in black, because by the end, you're not, because he is the evil character. He is a little more black and white than 
they for some reason sometimes set up, but it's never execute. That's the issue. They, they kind of set stuff up, they just don't execute. The first three seasons is perfection about setting up and execution. They do such a wonderful job with a lot of these little things. In the last three seasons, there's a lot there's setups that they never execute on. Like they just drop and it's frustrating. Like because you're really seeing those like cracks and you can see where some of those setups could lead. And they just don't execute them all. And you get frustrated. It's like, oh, the show would have been better if they would have executed still. They don't even have to execute them perfectly. They just could have executed them to a slight degree. And it just would have been a better show. Uh, the issue here with the season six is just, one, like I said, Sun does nothing. She's not doing anything. Like, they said her, she was so great in season four. Like, I keep going back to how great she was in season four. She was so wonderful. Um season five in the early episodes when they're doing the flash forward stuff she's great it's like oh she's so intriguing she's basically kind of this badass she's almost like widmore she's basically kind of on the same level as widmore in a lot of ways of like this kind of conniving not conniving she's very um she operates from positions of strength she's a very strong character she's a very independent character she's her own person like it's all it's set up so intrigued and now all she is is where's my husband where's my husband where's my husband where's my husband that's all she is she all that cool stuff they set up for son with the off island stuff has become where's my husband at and it's just that's why i said Jin could have died at the end of season four because Jin, outside of the russo stuff and being able to take him to the temple. That's all Jen has done in season five and six is the French team, which they could have given to anybody else. And they could have came across him. He could have got split up somehow, and they could have came across him. He could have done the same exact thing, same storyline. Could have been Miles. Could have been anybody else. It didn't have to be Jen, but they gave it to Jen, which I like Jen. I like, you know, Daniel Day Kim is great as Jen, and I love Sun and Jen as like a couple, like their growth and all that fun stuff. It's It's great. But, but, they don't do enough to have to spend time with him anymore. And I feel like if Jen had actually died at the end of season four, which I think would have been the better story choice, you could have done so much more with Sun going into these final seasons. Maybe she's working with Widmore. And we'll get with, like, the Widmore stuff in a few episodes in a couple weeks when we go over, like, the... um the package and uh, happily ever after when we go over those. And I think won't be next week. will be the week after if I'm thinking correctly, the episodes um, we'll go into the issues with the Widmore stuff. Um, but you really could have set something really big up there. If you would have let Jen die in in the season four, um, you know, but we're going to get there after we get done with the show itself. The following week, I will do like a whole lost wrap-up thing. I might do an actual special episode, like instead of doing a sports talk episode that week, just like a lost wrap-up where I just, favorite episodes, least favorite episodes, favorite characters, least favorite uh, storylines, or you know, just little things like that. And I might go into ways to have fixed some of the issues in the show. And yeah, you'll probably hear Jin should have died. <laughs> as much as I love the character, Jin should have won. Um, no, that should be everything, right? I need to be, my God, it's an hour and a half in. It's like one o'clock in the morning. Jesus Christ. This was an episode that's about an hour longer than I anticipated it being. So, uh, thank you so much for sticking with me. If you have, there's been some wild shit tonight. Oh my God. This has been a wild episode of Monster Eight the Pilot, but thank you so much for listening, understanding all the fun stuff. If you've somehow liked what you've heard, spread the good word anywhere podcasts are available. You can find Monster Eight the Pilot. 
you can listen to the uh, you can watch the video on Spotify if you feel like it. Um, I will be back Thursday with some sports talk. I know I talk about maybe switching it to Friday, but um, I'm thinking actually my days off will be switching soon to like Tuesday, Wednesday. So it actually makes sense to keep doing it on Thursday. I guess I can just you know record, but whatever. Anyways, um, it's gonna be a great show. It's gonna be a great fun show to have for sports talk. I mean, we got a Columbus crew going to the final, so we're gonna be previewing the MLS Cup final. We're gonna talk about Hell is Real and that epic comeback from the uh from the boys, the uh, Columbus crew boys here, man. It was awesome. It was epic. It was wonderful. We're gonna talk about a little bit about the Bruins kind of rebounding. Um, we're also gonna be talking about uh. Liverpool with another, also another epic comeback. Got a nice big win in Europe, and then they had a great comeback win against Fulham today. So we're going to be talking about that. It's going to be a great show. So just make sure you're subscribed if you're into the sports stuff. Make sure you check it out on Thursday. Um, that's when I'll be back. But yes, other than that, we're getting out of here. Ten four, Daddy O. Let's get the hell on out. <laughs>